Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, recovering from some kind of infection, so excuse the lateness for this episode. But this week, I'll be discussing the latest Pixar movie, and the first of two this year, Onward, the Ben Affleck uh, basketball coach redemption story, The Way Back, and I finally got a chance to see Emma, or all capital letters, Emma, period. Whatever. Uh, so let's get started. Elbows up. I'm trying to focus here. Focus. Focus. Holy, oh, forget it. It worked. The can is huge. And the van is huge. And you're... Oh, no. Onward, I liked from the premise... Because I do think that it's a, that's a very untapped setting. The idea that the fantasy world of places like, uh, you know, things like D&D or World of Warcraft, that's all medieval. What if we updated those settings with all the fantasy creatures to the present? Like, that's a fairly untapped setting. And I think trying to uh, update this, update that setting is a cool idea, which is why I liked this. And the idea that in this modern world, magic is their history and it's just lay, been laying there because everyone's been so on board with technology instead. And so you have these two kids, uh, one who one of who's basically a, bi a big old D&D &D nerd and one who's just an awkward sort of dork, uh trying to get one last day with their dad, and it becomes basically a road trip movie. I think that's my whole problem, is that the setting is way cooler than the story. Like, the story is road trip movie. It is... Oh, God, how many road trip movies has Pixar done now? Um, uh, does, I think Toy Story 2... Um, I think Toy Story 2 was their first one, but basically, yeah, so many of Pixar's movies have been road trips... That having yet another road trip movie is from them is kind of disappointing. Because, like, I think they kind of peaked with road trip movies from Finding Nemo. Like, even when they retreaded Finding Nemo with Finding Dory, that was kind of, you know, not as fun as the first time. So having it in for this new setting, this new character, you could do all sorts of things, and it's a road trip movie. I mean, they guise it in the name of a quest, which makes it more fantasy-like, but it's still a road trip movie. And I think that's kind of one of the biggest real setbacks towards it, is that it's not going to be peak, it's gonna, not going to be top-tier Pixar because all it is is just another road trip movie. It also doesn't help that their fantasy world is not as well thought out as, um, like, Disney's Zootopia. Uh, Disney's Zootopia was really well thought out to incorporate every size and shape of animal living in the same city the this world is fairly it's basically more like if our modern world designed for humans suddenly had centaurs and pixies and elves and orcs and manticores living in it because it's all designed around human so, basic human size so centaurs have to squeeze into a regular ass car and pixies have to drive regular sized motorcycles and it's just it feels like it wasn't as well thought out. It feels like they just wanted to do our modern world with fantasy characters and not a fantasy world, fantasy modern world like Zootopia was. Like, Zootopia ha thinks about all of the creatures living in the city. This one didn't really do that, and I feel like that's kind of a setback for it. Um, 
But yeah, once again, most of the focus is on our two main characters, um, Ian and uh, oh God, I forgot his name. The Chris Pratt one, uh, the big, the big D and D. Funny enough, you think from all the marketing that um, Chris Pratt's character is going to be more like a punk kid. He's basically like a, a a punk a nerd. He's more if he was punk, he's nerdcore. He is a nerd punk. He is the nerdiest of nerd punks playing straight up D, fantasy D and D, which to them is their history. It's basically like um, when uh, when when nerds would play like uh, fantasy war games based on actual uh, battles that took place, because that's how role playing got its start. Like, it all started with old war game figurines and, like, recreating the battle, various world battles throughout history. And um, then they decided to up change that from real world history to fantasy worlds and incorporate things from various fantasy medieval elements. And, yeah, so it's kind of, so I did, I like, once again, there are a lot of cool nods, especially if you're into D&D, that are really fun in this movie. And I do think the the storyline with the two brothers bonding with their uh, dad's bottom half is is really neat. And the way it plays out is not how you think it will. And the way it ends is really touching. So it's not... And of course, the big climax is a big old action set piece that looks really solid and fun and incorporates so many of the cool things. And yet, I did, it's just not one that's going to sit with me like Wally does. Or Coco does, or um, some of the Toy Stories do, just because I don't know. It's, it feels like it's not their best, which is to say, you know, which is still like, oh, it's not their best. Four out of five, you know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, th- I think that's the whole thing with Pixar is that their their high bar is so high that even that uh, their slip ups are literally just, you know, we're not as good as the most amazing thing ever. So. Yeah, Onward is, it's not something I would rush out to see, uh, but it is, you know, a solid enough Pixar movie, and if you want to go see it and you're into fantasy, fantasy comedy stuff, check it out. It's, you know, it's not, it's not bad. It's definitely my pick of the week. It's just ultimately, um, actually, no, it's not my pick of the week, but we'll get into that. Uh, but it is still a, a solid family movie, uh, so have fun with it. One last thing I want to add, I forgot to mention this in the initial recording, but um, I, do, I do feel that Octavia Spencer and Julia Louis-Dreyfus were a bit wasted, and the whole thing about the first openly gay character in a Disney movie, it's a throwaway line that can be easily cut out, so no points for you, Disney. Because they haven't been through what we've been through. They don't know adversity. They don't know what it's like to get knocked down, to have to get back up again. They don't know what it is to fight. Who are we? We can't change the past, Jack. What we can do is choose how we move forward. So this one um, doesn't really... This one's going to be my unpop kernel. And there's probably going to be some people who don't like that. The, you know, they, there's, there's a lot of people who really dig this movie... Uh, from what I've seen, and I'm sorry to say that this is actually one of the blandest movies I've seen so far this year. Like, in, in, in all intents and purposes, this is this could very well qualify for god awful movies. Uh, and I I had posted on the fan group about that how like does this technically qualify? Is it could 
god-awful movie because there's definitely a lot in common with their with their kind of stuff. So, yeah, The Way Back is just not one that appeals to me. Um, the basic premise here is literally every sort of uh, redemption arc storyline for a coach. Like... Here, I want to see something. I've never seen the Mighty Ducks. You know, uh, millennial confession time. I've never seen the Mighty Ducks, but I'm assuming that's what. Um, there's an episode of uh, South Park called Stan's Game where he coaches, where he gets in trouble and he has to coach a little little league, his uh, kindergartner um, hockey team, and I'm assuming that's based on. Uh, yeah, that he had uh, drunk driving. Has to do community service by coaching the Pee Wee hockey team. Okay, so yeah, I was right. It's um, it's not it's not the exact same premise, but that's we've seen that premise of the person who has to coach the the underdog sports team throughout our childhood, and it was played as a joke. So for the guy behind Warrior and the accountant to come in and take it, try to take it seriously, is an uphill battle to be sure. And I think what people are gravitated to is not the sports story, but the other side of it, which is a story of alcoholism. And it's a story of addiction. It's a story of tragedy and depression that I could not take seriously because it plays it so melodramatically. Like, that's the thing. If you wanted to be a serious take on addiction and uh, alcoholism, there's a way to go about it. But you can't have the the one person who's good be um be be you know be the main person and then everyone else just be background characters. Like you need to have a good supporting cast if this is if this is supposed to be your main dramatic point. And everyone besides um uh Ben Affleck and the kids in this movie is wooden as hell. They're so boring and lifeless in this movie and i don't get it like this you're really compelled by this like most of the alcoholism stuff is played as a joke up until they finally reveal his tragic past and even then it's like okay he's got a tragic backstory he's got this tragedy going on that's driving his depression and whatnot and they don't really do much of that for anything like, they, it feels like this movie was going to be two and a half hours and they cut so much other stuff because Especially towards the end of the movie, they cut, they jumped so many subplots. Like, oh my god, you need to, you know, like, oh my god, the my, you know, the dad's not sitting in. There's a weird subplot of the kid who wants to be, who gets cut from the team for being a screw up, and then he gets, he, he has to work his way back on, and then that's just bleh, he we forget that character even exists. And then there's the the star of the team's dad doesn't want him to play the sport despite the fact that he had a scholarship. And played the sport. And it it's supposed to be about he wants to get an education. But the, the scholarship would literally help him to get an education. Even though I know that the NCAA is not perfect when it comes to that sort of thing. But it would be better than him trying to, I don't know, use his grades or something. I, we don't know how good his grades are. Like, and the, the dad never supports his thing. Because apparently the dad's also at home taking care of two other kids. There's a single dad taking, trying to take care of three kids, and then Ben Affleck comes in. How come you don't go to your son's games? I'm over here taking care of two other kids, asshole. 
I got three kids to take care of and, a, and my one job to support it. How about you back off? You know? Oh, I'm sorry, Ben Affleck, that I can't be there for my one kid out of three when it comes to supporting the, the sport he's into. When I've got other responsibilities in my life. What, are you going to tell me in here and time man tell me how to time manage my time better? Asshole, you drunken prick. Uh, that's the other thing, too, is that for all throughout the movie, there's only one time that Ben Affleck gets caught drunk on the job. This entire movie, he's somehow enough of a functioning alcoholic that he never loses his day job, which they it, you know they remind us he still has, and it's the one job that he actually cares about that he loses because of his alcoholism, not the one that is just there to explain how he has the money to buy the alcohol the one he actually cares about by the end of the movie like mm, there's so much of this movie that bothers me just because they really didn't think it through the whole way um i'm wondering who did the writing for this let's take a look i think i looked at it uh last weekend and i've completely forgot okay that's the other thing, too. Like, Ben Affleck is the main star in this, and then the only other real name that you would recognize is Al Madrigal. You may know Michaela Watkins. I don't recognize her. Um, but Al Madrigal from The Daily Show is in this. Um, Michaela Watkins plays his uh, sister. And then Janina Gavankar? Gavankar? Uh, she, was apparent, she was in that... Uh, critically acclaimed blind spotting a couple years ago. She apparently played a voice in Battlefront 2. Um, she plays his estranged wife in this. And yeah, like, nobody besides, like, Ben Affleck and the kids and then sometimes Al Madrigal are really any good in this movie. Like, when it's about the basketball, it's just a, you know, another boring basketball story about a fictional team. And... When it tries to be about the drama, apparently everyone else got suckered into it. I just honestly didn't care. Uh, but apparently it is writ written by Gavin O'Connor, the director, as well as co-written by Brad Inglesby, best known for Out of the Furnace uh, and American Woman. Which was that? Some indie movie called American Woman. Um, the Liam Neeson movie Run All Night he was a writer on. Uh, which I don't remember seeing. Uh, and then, of course, Gavin O'Connor, you know, for uh, The Accountant and um, Pride and Glory, m most notably for Warrior. He was, he was I mean, Warrior's probably his best movie, honestly. But, um, yeah, he also did Jane Got a Gun and um, something called Tumbleweeds. But yeah, uh, Warrior, I think, is honestly his... Oh, God, he's been announced to do the Green Hornet reboot. Oh, boy. I mean, it can't be worse than the last one, right? So, they're also apparently announced an accountant sequel because that was so good. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, the way back... Uh, I think it's, I think we've come to find out that just because Warrior was really good... I don't know if Pride and Glory is any good. I haven't seen it. I don't know if Tumbleweeds is any good. I haven't seen it. The Accountant was really forgettable. And this is also really forgettable. So I think we're seeing a pattern here that when Gavin O'Connor works with um, Ben Affleck, it's kind of forgettable. 
But apparently people still like it. So, you know what? Like what you'll want to like, man. I and mean, if this appeals to you, go for it. Uh, but personally, I don't care, man. This is my unpopped kernel of the week just because it, it's kind of fairly un... Yeah, it's not really well thought out. Uh, some of the stuff is really goofy and silly. It takes away from the drama. And the drama itself is just not all that compelling. Like, yeah, I mean, it deals with, like, loss and depression and alcoholism. And there's a lot of stuff in there. But it's just... It's not very well done, I think. And maybe if I go back and rewatch Warrior, it, it won't hold up as well. But I don't know, man. Yeah, this just didn't do it for me. Emma. Emma. Um. Rebecca's guest. Probably not a father's gentleman and a gentleman of Miss Whitehouse. Miss Whitehouse. Such news. So, remember when I said that Onward was not going to be my pick of the week? That's because I remembered the other one I saw. Emma. Or how, how would you pronounce that? All capital letters, period. That seems to be the main uh, spelling for this movie. But yeah, Emma is the latest adaptation of the Jane Austen book of the same name. It's been adapted a couple times. Most notably, uh, the Gwyneth Paltrow one from the 90s, as well as the movie Clueless. Yes, the movie Clueless is actually based on the Jane Austen novel, Emma. And in fact, if you've seen Clueless... And you watch this, you'll see a lot of the parallels. So yeah, the premise here is that um, Emma Woodhouse, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, is a fairly gossipy, um, well-to-do uh, socialite in England. And she spends her time trying to hook her friend up with uh, whatever guy she thinks has it likes her. And she's also working with this other neighbor, you know, other, uh, so, you know, socially well-to-do boy. Uh, and they kind of butt heads a bit about um, who should date who and whatnot and interfering with people's social lives. He kind of challenges her on her prejudices and the idea that, you know, she thinks she's so hot. She's such hot stuff. And then as the movie goes along, we see that she's all constantly challenged. She eventually gets challenged by how amazing she thinks she is and that and she has to kind of be humbled by it but um yeah it's this is a really it, it kind of reminds me of Wes Anderson in a way it feels like if Wes Anderson tackled uh Jane Austen and I dig that about it it's got that it's not as twee as Wes Anderson is but it has that sort of quirkiness to it it's very off-putting like things are just slightly off and that quirkiness leads leans into the comedy of this like the comedy here comes from just all of the various idiosyncratic behaviors that people do like um like when uh bill nighy who plays um her um emma's father wants some privacy wants to give Emma some privacy he'll just order the uh, servants to put up a screen in front of him <laughs> Um, or, you know, it's, it's various weird things, like, the movie opens up with Emma going into the garden, and just going from flower to flower while the servants are just have, having to follow her, like, okay, okay, which flower, which flower, mm -hmm. not that one, okay, <laughs> and it's just, like, weird little 
weird little bits like that is what drives the humor of this. You know, one of the, my favorite ones uh, from the trailer, the end of the for, from the end of the, most of the trailers for this, is uh, Miss Bates, played by uh, oh god, who is the actress? Uh, she's in a bunch of British stuff. Um, trying to remember her name, uh, Miranda Hart. Uh, she was also in uh, uh, Spy. She was the best friend in Spy with uh, what's her name, um, Melissa McCarthy. Uh, Call the Midwife, Hyperdrive. Uh, so she's in a bunch of BBC stuff. Oh no, she was in Nutcracker in the Four Realms, but only in an uncredited role. Um, oh gosh, she was in a bit <laughs> called Mama Mia, Here We Go, yet again. So she does a bunch, she's a British comedian, and she's in a bunch of stuff. And she is sort of this uh, weird uh, woman who has lost a lot of her wealth and so she is kind of ingratiated into this um social circle as a as a sort of a courtesy to her so that she doesn't feel left out and doesn't feel like um you know feel like she's lesser than for having lost all of her so much of her wealth and um like that so she comes up to uh, Emma's carriage and she's like this one house this one house and Audrey Taylor Joy just pushes the window open with her finger and it's just little things like that it's hard you know like when you describe it you're like how is that funny but you watch it play out and it's really like well timed and well acted and just really you know charming and clever and funny and yeah um i've never seen any of this guy's other stuff postman dreams Apparently he's mostly known for uh, music videos, but yeah, I think he's ca very capable of directing cinema. Um, the writer here, uh, Eleanor Catton, it did a fantastic job adapting this. I think. Um, so yeah, uh, if you're unfamiliar with uh, the, if, if you're familiar with the book, I don't know how well this plays as an adaptation, but I love the sort of dry sense of humor about it. I love. Um, I think they actually make you sort of care about all of the gossipy bits, which normally you, you know, unless you're into that sort of idea of the melodrama of, you know, will they, won't they stuff, you tend not to get into it. This kind of actually made me care about something as mundane as who Mia Goth from Suspiria is going to date. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a really good cinematography. Like there are points where it's just... All of a sudden, most of it is, you know, fairly straight on. And then all of a sudden there's going to be a swooping shot or like an overhead view as the camera pan, as the camera like pans over the scenery. And then all of a sudden, so it's like, oh, wow, all of a sudden you're just thrown in this really solid cinematography. And then you've got really great editing on top. Just all about, this movie really charmed the pants off me. And I really dug this. And this is, uh, more so even than Little Women, which I more respected. Uh, this really hit home. Uh, this really like this was delightful. Is the best way I can uh, describe it. So, as, as someone who's never really been into that Victorian era romance story, like I never was into this sort of Pride and Prejudice and this era of storytelling and this genre. But yeah, but it, if there are movies like this, then yeah, I'm into it. I, I can dig it. If there's fun, like it, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's a lot of fun. And it's really charming. So if you haven't yet, go check out Emma. It's a lot of... It's really good. I don't know how how it compares to the other adaptations, but it's a really solid movie. So that covers all the re reviews. I'm not, I didn't really get a chance to see anything uh, else this week because I've been sick. 
And uh, so yeah, let's move right along to the box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. All right, taking a look at the box office from this past weekend. Uh, dropping out of the top 10, we have Fantasy Island and Brahms the Boy 2, as well as 1917, so those are all out. Uh, dropping from 4 to 10 is My Hero Academia Heroes Rising, which I'll admit I've added to my favorite of the um, year list because I qualify it. it. This was this technical North American release, so it, and it plus it uh, was expanded from... Uh, from a sing- singular like weekend release to having a full two week run because of its popularity, and yeah, it brought in um, it brought in one million one point seven million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to twelve point eight million, and bringing its worldwide gross up to uh, twenty nine point two million dollars, all on a budget of does not say. Shoot. Um, what about the previous My Hero Academia movie? How much did that cost? Um, let me see. Let's go to their stuff. Here we go. Uh, two Heroes cost... Does not say. Well then, apparently uh, Tohei is being really mum on how much their movies cost. So, um, Tohei or Toho... It's Toho, uh, but Bones is the production company. Hmm. Uh, in any, in any case, however much this costs, it's, uh, probably, I, I can't imagine it would cost much more. How much do most anime movies cost? Um, 250 million yen or $2 million. So if that's, if this is, even if this cost on the higher end of anime movie things, that would still be about... 10 to 15 million dollars so it's already made back its money and then some so and and i'm start and i'm gonna try and get into uh uh the the series now as well so we'll see how that plays out uh coming in at number nine is impractical jokers dropping down from number seven bringing in 1.8 million this weekend and what does the green mean here on huh doesn't have a code it must be just like a weird HTML thing. Sorry. Um, yeah, one point eight million this weekend, bringing its uh, domestic gross to nine point four million dollars, and it's world, and that's all it's all it's got. Uh, no international release for this one, on a box budget of three million dollars. So tripled its money back after all. So I mean, hey, keep your budget low, and as long as you can squeeze that back, you're good. I wish Hollywood would learn this lesson. Uh, coming in at number eight. This weekend, uh, dropping from number six is Birds of Prey, bringing in $2.1 million, bringing its domestic gross up to $82.5 million, and its worldwide gross up to $195.7 million. So yeah, it's not gangbusters. It's made back its money. It's made, you know, it's made, it's kind of broken even by this point. I think after this weekend, everything's going to basically be uh, profit. But yeah, it's still not exactly gangbusters for dc and i think that's just because of the ill will that people have given them and there's still a very vocal contingent of comic book fans that are very anti-woman you know i don't think that's very um uh controversial to say it exists we have people on twitter know so yeah um i kind of hope that the next one 
both I kind of hope this splits off into two separate things. We get a separate Harley Quinn movie where she hooks up with uh, Poison Ivy, and it's basically a rom-com meet-cute. And I kind of hope they split off to Birds of Prey, uh, trying, you know, kind of setting further setting up this universe, this, the, you know, their new Batman. So we'll see. Uh, next up at number seven is Bad Boys for Life, dropping from number five. Uh, brought in $3 million this weekend, $202 million domestically. $415 million worldwide. So on a budget of $90 million, expect more Bad Boys movies. Because I think this is... How is it doing for the rest of the movies? Is there a way to... Is there a way to compare it for the other movies in the series? Da, 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 da. Let's take a look at... There a way to look at the other... Here we go. Franchise. Bad Boys. You don't have to pay extra money to Amazon in order to look at this. Uh, yeah. Ultimately, it is doing the best out of all of the Bad Boys movies. Um, it costs less than Bad Boys 2. It opened higher and has so far earned more money at the box office. Although this does not, uh, take into account inflation. Because those are, I'm guessing those are 90s and 2000s numbers. So I don't know how much it, um, matters with inflation. So... Yeah, uh, but yeah, people are have people. The people have spoken. They like the bad boys, so we'll see what Sony does with that. Uh, next up is Emma jumping up from thirteen to six with an increased uh, distribution. This is their weekend going wide. Brought in four point eight million, bringing its domestic gross so far up to six point six million after its limited run, and uh, overall has made twenty million dollars worldwide. And sadly, uh, there is no now. There isn't a budget listed for this but i compared this to little women which cost 40 million dollars to make so if it's anything like that then this movie is barely made back its budget which is kind of disappointing and it th there's a lot of things that could be spoken for this because if you've noticed in the numbers movies are barely cracking the million dollar mark and that can honestly be linked to the coronavirus people are not as is um jumpy to go out and see movies right now a lot of stuff is being affected by this in fact the dow took a major dive and it's been it's you know we're we could very well be either entering a recession or a depression ultimately just because of the fears of this virus outbreak so uh movies i think i'm sure the movie studios will be fine it's just yeah it sucks that these movies that probably could have done better under better circumstances maybe they'll do better on video uh, one can only hope. Uh, next up at number five is The Call of the Wild, dropping from number three. Uh, that brought in $6.7 million, bringing its domestic gross up to $57.2 million, and its worldwide gross up to $99.3 million. Still has not made back that budget. Still a flop, and still a major flop. So that's, that's very disappointing. I still enjoyed the movie, and it just kind of stinks that Nobody wants to see it. Well, I mean, it's not that nobody wants to see it. It's that it cost over $100 million to make when it probably didn't need to. So that's on you, uh, Fox. Uh, number two, number four this weekend, uh, dropping from number two, is Sanic the Hedgehog, uh, bringing in $7.7 .7 million and bringing its domestic gross up to $140.5 million and its worldwide gross to $295 million. So, yeah. Uh, expect Sonic. Expect uh, Sega and Paramount to announce the so Sonic the Hedgehog sequel anytime now. Probably closer to the end of the run, but it's definitely 
probably the highest grossing video game movie of all time. I'm not sure, is it? Uh, based on a game, what's the highest grossing? Top grossing movies adjusted for inflation. Uh, Pokemon the first movie is still the highest grossing. Uh, well, no. Lorecroft Tomb Raider is still the highest grossing adjusting for inflation. Uh, Pokemon the first movie is behind it with Mortal Kombat, Detective Pikachu, and then Sonic the Hedgehog at number five. So Sonic Hedgehog still has to beat... Uh, well, and that's that looks like it's just domestically. I don't know how much it is worldwide. Um, but yeah, so far Sonic has to beat Detective Pikachu, uh, Mortal Kombat, uh, Pokemon the first movie, and Lara Croft Tomb Raider, the uh, original one from Angel with Angelina Jolie. Uh, that's the highest grossing movie uh based on a video game so far so we'll see and uh next up we've got premiering at number three the way back bringing in 8.1 million dollars this weekend uh with an extra bit for the inter some international uh, uh specifically australia and new zealand we've got a uh, we got 8.8 .8 million dollars uh and it did not list no, it did list the budget. 21, point, 21 to $25 million. So, not great. I think it's also in, uh, inhibited by, you know, once again, the coronavirus. People are not scrambling to the theaters to see stuff. Uh, and uh, this is not the only one that's going to be affected by it. But, yeah, I think the people that are seeing it like it. But most of the people aren't interested in seeing it. So, we'll see. Maybe it'll have new life on video or something. We'll see. Uh, dropping from one to two this weekend was The Invisible Man, which brought in $15 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross to $52 million, and its worldwide gross to $98.2 million on a $7 million budget. I'm telling you, if Universal announced the next couple of days that Bloomhouse is in charge of their, of their classic movie monster library, I would not be shocked, and I would be very interested to see what Bloomhouse does next. So yeah, Invisible Man is still raking in the numbers. And premiering at number one this weekend, we've got Pixar's Onward, which brought in $39 million this weekend. Uh, bring And with the international box office, it opened worldwide to $67 million. Not exactly great considering it cost, uh, what was it? Between $100 and $200 million to make. Uh, let's compare this to the rest of Pixar's library. Uh, opening weekend for Onward Falls Behind the Good Dinosaur by $40,000. So, The Good Dinosaur, the lo the uh, lowest gro gro grossing opening weekend for and the lowest grossing overall Pixar movie to date, Onward premiered behind that. Granted, Onward also premiered at a once again at a, during a pandemic scare, so sadly, so sadly, uh, the Good Dinosaur may be the kind of Pixar movie that Onward is slumped into. We'll see if it picks up. It could very well pick up once the virus scares go down and you know the pandemic worries are are um, are taken care of. So far, uh, like if you look at the numbers. Good Dinosaur is still the lowest grossing behind Cars 3, Bugs Life, Cars 2, um, well, if you look at Worldwide, uh, yeah, Bugs Life, the first Toy Story, the Cars, the Cars 3, and 1, so yeah, uh, I'm really happy to see Coco is one of the highest grossing uh, of the Pixar movies, it deserves that, but yeah, um, 
I did not realize that Finding Nemo was the most popular of the franchises from Pixar. Like, Toy Story 3 and 4, yeah, that makes sense. Um, that's an already established franchise. Uh, Incredibles 2 makes sense because that was such an, a long wait. But Finding Nemo, the the highest grossing of the of the original um, first entry in a series by Pixar. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting to see. Um, anyway, yeah, Onward is not doing well. Uh, we'll see if anything picks up. Uh, so yeah, coming out this weekend though, we almost got this. I almost finally got to see My Spy. They pushed it to April after three pre after two previous pushes from August to I think September. No, September to January. Then they pushed it to March, and now they push it ahead again to April. God damn. Uh, anyway, next up. In the release schedule this weekend, we've got Bloodshot, the first in the uh, Valiant Comics verse, and we'll see if that can kind of kick off Valiant Comics and see, hey, if Sony Pictures can do well enough with Valiant Comics, maybe they, nah, no, no, they're doing too well with Spider-Man. They're not going to get rid of Spider-Man. Uh, but we've also finally got The Hunt. Uh, for those who don't remember, The Hunt was the controversial movie about a bunch of uh, conservatives? I don't know if they were all conservatives, but basically the idea that a bunch of lower-class people were brought in to be hunt for sport by a group of elites. And there's a lot of controversy about uh, Trump supporters saying this is about them and blah, blah, blah. But, but actually, it's, you know, it's mostly kind of an adaptation of the... the, the, um, the uh, uh, what is it? The greatest... The world... The most... The most uh, dangerous game, uh, looks it sounds like, because it's saying based on a based on a fiction book short story. Is there another one? Is this actually based? Hold on, let me go to the wiki about this. Because uh, there may be another short story uh, that covers this. I'm I'm assuming if it's listing that that it's about the most that's claiming to be an adaptation of the most dangerous game. Uh, based on, yeah, The Most Dangerous Game by Richard Connell. Uh, and, um, it is Blumhouse Productions. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, received, it was a lot of criticism saying that, oh, it's making fun of Trump supporters, but honestly, like, not all poor people are Trump supporters, and it's mostly just about a class, it's about class warfare. And yeah, it's... It looks fun. Like, you got Betty Gilpin in this, uh, Ike Barinholtz, Emma Roberts, Hilary Swank is, like, this really smarmy, um, rich woman. Uh, it just looks like, uh, it you know, and play. It's a solid story. The idea of hunting people for sport. And it looks like it's really going to, um, tap into people's fears. So, uh, you know, not people's fears, but people's, um, concerns about, you know, the class struggle. So we'll see. I'm very interested to see this. Uh, Craig Zobel, I'm not familiar with, though. Apparently he... All the Real Girls. I know that title. Zephyr Zachariah. Um, I did not get a chance to see that one, although it did look good. That's the one with um, Margot Robbie, Chouette Legiafor, and Chris Pine. It's a post-apocalyptic thing. Um, he he uh, did Compliance. Oh, Compliance! The one about the... um. The strip search phone call, but the guy posing as a police officer. Okay, I did hear about that one. I don't know if it's any good or not. 
Uh, the Great World of Sound. I don't know about that one. Um, uh, oh, no. He worked on uh, David Gordon Green's films. And that's where all the real girls came in. That's a David Gordon Green film. Okay, so this guy, he's been working in indie film for a while. Um, okay, so yeah, this... This is interesting. I'm very curious. He also did a couple episodes of... He also did an episode of Westworld and um, Leftovers, American Gods. So he's been a bunch of stuff. Uh, and then the writer is Nick Cuse and Damon... Damon Lindelof? I'm sorry, Damon Lindelof from, like, Lost Damon Lindelof. I'll be damned. Well, then I'm very interested to see this because, yeah... Um, he's, he can be very hit or miss, but yeah, I'm very curious. Apparently he also, um, worked on The Leftovers with David Lim Damon Lindelof, so this could be interesting. I'm very interested to see how this turns out. This could go either way. And then the last one is going to be one that's going to be real fun for me to talk about. I still believe, based on the song of the same name, because it's Christian Movie Weekend this weekend. Offsetting the evils of Friday the 13th with Jeebus. Oh, fun. So, yeah. Uh, we got that to look forward to this weekend. So, that about does it for this week's episode. Which means, it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting us on your web browser. You can also check out all of our other fine programming like Dungeons & Dragon types, Once More with Feeling, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, Living in the Stacks, and The Family Business, all kinds of good stuff. If you yourself are a podcaster and would love to join our ranks, you can do so by sending us a favorite, sending us a message at GumbyCatNetworks at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. You can also uh, check us out on, on uh, your various podcast providers. Uh, we are on I, uh, Apple Podcasts. I keep having to update that. Uh, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartMedia. So wherever podcasts are played, if we're not there, uh, let, uh, let me know so I can add us there. And then be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. You can also find us on social media. The social media home for Popcorn Junkie is Facebook.com slash Popcorn Junkie. The Twitter is Corn Junkie Pod. The Instagram is Popcorn Junkie Podcast. That is active on there. I'm most active on Twitter. Uh, you can also find me on Letterboxd at Corn Junkie Pod. I'm caught up on Stardust. So if you want to keep, so if you want to see all my reactions, there's a whole backlog of them on Stardust. And if you want to be up to date on seeing my reactions firsthand, you can do so by following me on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie. And you can follow my written reviews over at Letterboxd at Corn Junkie Pod. And then if you want. If you want to support the show on Patreon, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. That's uh, no cheers to my to my podcast. As little as $1 a month gets you all 10 episodes of both Munch Along and making a Make a Better Movie. You can suggest content for those. You can suggest new content. You can suggest movies for me to review. And you can also uh, suggest stuff for me to do. You know, uh, I've been wanting to do the corn talk uh, sort of discussion extensive discussion well-researched much better than off the top of my head stuff uh but we'll the only way to do that uh, is to get support from listeners like you um if there's anything else you want to say to me any kind of feedback you want to give any kind of um thoughts on the movies i reviewed this week you can send all those to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com if you want me to read your thoughts on the air i will do so on the air we're not going out on the airwaves uh 
if you want to re- let me, you know, if you want me to read your thoughts out and share them with the other listeners, you can do so. Uh, just let me know in either the message or the subject line. Otherwise, I'll just simply paraphrase. That about does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and rest in peace, Max von Sydow, and thank you for your decades of wonderful work. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. So he, for some reason, sorry, I heard, was that you? My cat was making noise in the background. Made it sound like someone was at the door. It's just my asshole roommate. Mix up. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Melody. I'm Max. I'm Dexter. I'm Diana. And I'm John. And together, we host the book review and discussion podcast, Living in the Stacks. Every two weeks, we take the time to read a book and then meet online to discuss it. We'll talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and if we'd read the book again. Whatever the genre, whoever the author, whether it's good or bad, we'll read anything once. So if you want to join us, you can find us, Living in the Stacks, available through Gumby Cat Networks.